0: Very often people are saying, hey, this is a finance topic, right? Because they are doing the numbers, they are somehow relevant for the targets, and they are doing actually the reporting. Performance management in that sense, we think it much broader, it's actually about the clear initiatives that you put behind that. So I think success looks like if we spend 60% of the time on understanding what are the initiatives and the actions we want to move and we want to do in the next year in order in the next cycle to improve, rather than debating 60% of the time on whether the numbers are correct. So in that sense, uh, performance management is cross-functional and also in that sense, not only a finance topic.
1: From McKinsey's Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. You just heard Christian Gruba, who joins us today to discuss performance management. Finance functions spend a lot of time getting this process right, and the topic is central to all areas of business. There are also many innovations happening in the space, whether it's different sets of targets or different ways to measure success. Christian's a partner in our Munich office and leads our CFO practice across Europe serving clients in automotive, healthcare, and manufacturing industries. He's joined today by Talha Ashraf, a senior advisor and former CFO of a number of companies, including U.S. Anesthesia Partners. Also with us is Roel Hoyer, an associate partner in our Amsterdam office, and Rohan Jain, a consultant in our Singapore office. Christian, let's start with a question for you. During COVID-19, performance management became one of the highest priorities for CFOs, given the criticality of managing cash and just making sure that organizations were surviving. But it's also remained high ever since. What do you think has supported this sustained and increased attention?
0: Thank you very much. Also, welcome from my side. And indeed, performance management has been on top of mind for many CFOs. The results of our latest global CFO survey in 2021 among 350 and so CFOs shows not only that the majority of CFOs spend a lot of time on this topic, but it also shows that the share has increased by more than 25 percentage points compared to 2018. And of course, this might not be surprising. In a pandemic times, you know, with top lines being under tight pressure and many um, cost assumptions and plans and budgets needs to be revised at short notice. But there was never then, you know, in the last 12 months, also an urgent need to get forecasts in place that help us steer the performance in turbulent times. However, it's not only, you know, in, uh, let's say, pandemic times that performance management is of vital importance. It also plays a really important role you know if we want to manage growth, or if we want to steer uh, our businesses outside of our core, or if we want to drive the energy transition agenda, right, moving from classic oil and gas to more, let's say, sustainability-driven um, uh, uh, energy models and the likes. And of course, it's very important also to manage the performance and also manage our employees. So, in that sense, performance management is really cutting across the entire organization. And for each of these topics, you know, we need to put in a performance management that helps us setting really ambitious targets for our businesses, that really helps us in driving transformations. And of course, that's flexible enough so that we remain agile in a dynamic context as um, in these days.
1: And in your experience, which aspects of performance management do you see undergoing the biggest changes?
0: So actually, I think, you know, probably one of the biggest changes that we have seen in performance management is the, um, let's say, the openness to be much more ambitious, ambitious when it comes to the target setting. I think, you know, the pandemic told us that probably, you know, Many targets that we gave ourselves um, at the beginning are no longer valid, and that opened up a lot of discussions on, you know, what is really the full potential we can go after. And it's very often um, connected to quite a positive notion. So it's not about, you know, how can I cut costs even more aggressively, but it rather actually talks about, you know, what's really now, if we are in that new world, our top line or our, let's say, floor we want to achieve. And in that sense, I think, you know, uh, performance management has moved away a bit from, you know, (laughs) driving um, basically um, others in doing better into, hey, how, where can we go together in terms of performance and in terms of, let's say, um, top line and profitability.
1: Okay. Thanks, Christian. Roel, can you share some of the key elements of performance management that companies are now starting to reimagine? Maybe share some areas, aside from tracking performance to full potential, where you're seeing interesting innovations?
2: We always think about performance management starting at strategic planning. You translate strategic planning into accountability scorecards and KPIs, set your targets, set the, uh, the budget, the planning, and the forecasting systems, review your performance uh, and track it, of course, and then ensure you have the infrastructure in place to, to monitor it. You should also be thinking about where you are excelling already, and where you potentially can grow the most. And the first one is full potential, is we see clients embedding full potential across the, the, the performance management cycle. In accountability scorecards and KPIs, we see increased emphasis moving away from only uh, financial KPIs. We also see uh, ESG considerations come into play and operational uh, KPIs come, becoming more and more important even at some points with equal weights across. In terms of target setting, we see uh, companies relying more and more on external benchmarking and trying to triangulate uh, what could be their most ambitious target in a way to challenge your organization. This doesn't have to be in your own industry. You can also use lenses from other industries to challenge the status quo of the industry where you're in. More and more, Uh, in budgeting, uh, planning and forecasting, we see real-time transparency as key. Also using advanced analytics and data uh, 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 approaches to be able to more rapidly adjust to market conditions. In terms of performance tracking and reviews, especially for for, for the individual, we do see more agile approaches using OKRs to ensure that the reviews are focused on your contribution, on what you have contributed to your results and how you have worked together with your teams. Then finally, we see a lot of digital reporting, uh, reducing all the clutter, which a lot of organizations have uh, in terms of reporting, standardizing and avoiding discussions on numbers and improving the transparency across the board.
1: Tauha, you've been both a corporate CFO and you've also worked in private equity. Which of the dimensions that Roll just mentioned, do you see coming up most in board discussions and performance assessments of say portfolio companies?
3: Look, from my vantage point, strategic planning is where it starts in many ways it ends. And it was always important, but I think what helped this particularly COVID cycle was focus, focus more on those three to four things that truly, truly drive the company and more so in many ways, the operating model. We always talked about that in the boardroom, in the C-suite, amongst our peers and all of that. But even from an investor standpoint, it became very, very important to understand truly what are the key priorities and how we're gonna ultimately allocate capital.
1: Thanks, Uh, a follow-up here. Rigorous performance management is often seen as trading off with employee satisfaction. The thinking being that if you push people too hard, it can drive attrition, especially during crises how can companies or how have you seen companies optimize that employee performance, but also maintaining high morale at the same time?
3: That's a great point. And, and we, in my role, along with our peer group as well in the C-suite, we spent a fair amount of time on that. Ultimately it's really what we thought was less is more. So how do we pick a few things, explain the rationale or remind people on why those are the key priorities and how we double up around resources, alignment, and in many ways, that clarity of thought that if yesterday, call it, uh, we were with five, six, ten priorities, how do we focus on three to five at most? And alignment between all the way from the top C-suite all the way to the operating line manager as well so that people understand, here's the focus, everything else is, quote, unquote, as roll talked about, clutter. And freedom of that mind space truly, I think, energizes people as well. And of course, following up and demonstrating that we've got the key metrics and here's how we're going to report on them and communicate in them with a much higher frequency than maybe historically uh, we had
1: done. Thanks so much, Tala. Let's come back to full potential performance management. Roel, can you talk about how CFOs and other leaders would embed that methodology across their processes and then use it for performance management?
2: It all starts with setting a full potential ambition. The full potential is what an organization looks like, unconstrained, if it would be best in class in all dimensions. You look at it by comparing to benchmarks, competitors, or or internal benchmarks to define a North Star, a North Star which you can work towards. After that, you set your targets, your KPIs. You establish a baseline and ensure mindsets and behaviors that, uh, of, of your colleagues to go after this North Star. And you consistently uh, build initiatives, uh, come up with creative ideas on how to reach it. Of course, as industries develop, your North Star will also change. So it is, in fact, a moving target you're chasing. However, this is uh, in our with many other clients that I have served a very positive way of thinking about it, because you are always trying to reach become the best you can be. It's actually about two main interventions that have impact across the cycle. One, how do you embed the full potential into the processes that are already in place, and the second is how do you enable uh, behaviors to really start chasing this. So it's about performance and it's about health. Let me just highlight a few important changes for this specific client, which was a a resource-intensive client. It was really about how do we set the the, the strategy in such a way that we can enable uh, and identify that we actually focus on the areas with the most potential and how can we align the accountabilities across this. Of course, how you you then discuss this in in terms of uh, performance appraisal discussions Against this full potential was also super important. This specific client had a, had a tendency to look a lot back, backward and look at, look at explanations of why something couldn't happen. And after this, we actually saw a, a healthy uh, forward-looking reviews where uh, the CEO and and its team were discussing what fundamental levers you could chase to actually reach this full potential. Also. We anchored the uh, the ownership of full potential of business leaders into individual reward and performance, to ensure that they would get a broad ownership of full potential, and also that they steward it within their teams.
1: Got it. But don't you think there'd be a natural tendency to sort of hedge or um, sandbag, even if you know the business has greater potential, to not embrace it fully, just to make sure that you meet your goals? How do you how do you overcome? That that sort of cognitive bias in managing performance.
2: Yes, an uh, excellent question. I, I, you start with a business which with a very ambitious uh, lead, leader who wants to reach for the stars or for the North Star. I think it is it is a leadership thing where you start with defining full potential with an open mindset, and in my experience. It is indeed in the beginning, a quite uh, a, can get to a tense debate because of course bench, benchmarks are imperfect, exa- uh, comparisons are imperfect. But by doing this triangulation and also involving the leader, your team and finance, you actually get a, a, quite a broad alignment uh, uh, typically, or at least an alignment on methodology. That's where you start. You start with setting a North Star in an area.
1: Thanks, Rohan. Rowan, can you take us through how key performance indicators evolve when those full potential targets are set?
4: All right. So once ambitious targets through full potential are set, the question that typically follows is how do we measure and incentivize performance of our top leaders in the ideal way? And here clients share that they're facing two contrasting pressures. The first one is, We want to define performance more broadly. We want to extend the definition of performance beyond traditional hard financial and operational metrics. We want to have ESG considerations. We want to have leadership or behavioral considerations as well. At the same time, the push at least from top 20, top 25 leaders in a company is towards having focused set of KPIs that their individual performance is measured on. So an example of this is recently, we had this conversation with a large client in Asia who said, can you help me devise ESG KPIs for my top leadership that will gradually cascade across the organization? At the same time, can you compress the number of KPIs that they're measured on to at best, you know, 10, 12, so that we can have them spend healthy chunks of their time on these topics. We use three guiding principles to help us. The first is what are the few strategic priorities that this leader should focus on, right? What is really, really going to move the organization towards its full potential. We use that to narrow down the list of KPIs that this person's performance is measured on. Then we only allocate those KPI where this leader has the highest amount of influence and the ability to move it. This then makes sure that once again, what they are measured on and rewarded on ties in very closely with what they're able to spend time and energy changing. And finally, anything that doesn't make the filtration or the cut is allocated or delegated to their direct reports. So what this then does is it's not like this KPI is abandoned. It is delegated to someone whose primary responsibility is to do this. So this process repeated all the way, starting from the C-suite across the organization, then make sure that everyone aligns their time and energy behind what is most important and most impactful. And ultimately the principle is measure many metrics, but incentivize and reward a few. So while the leader is tracking many metrics is measuring many metrics, only a subset of these make it to the performance contract based um, on which the leader is incentivized and rewarded. And we found that this was very impactful. Um, in helping leaders push towards full potential in that role set.
1: That's great. Thank you. Like the client that you previously mentioned, we're seeing more and more companies tracking progress on their ESG priorities. Talha, what progress do you see in the companies that you've worked with on their journey to include ESG in assessing performance?
3: it's really a continuum and and i see across industries uh, in particular they're at varying stages some are in the early adoption saying this is real not the fad of the year or the the two years some are truly understanding that how do we make it as uh, an embedded part of the business so they can truly not just think about get another initiative to do because somebody likes it somebody wants it or the investors are asking for it but truly use it as a competitive advantage in terms of attracting talent, resources, and in many ways uh, capital allocation and are starting to think through how they communicate that on a regular basis. So there's quite a bit of disparities, but I truly think it's a continuum and in many ways a journey, but it has to start somewhere. And then there are many that are just gonna wait until they're pushed or asked by their investor base, shareholders, or candidly even employees. So I see a fair amount of that here.
1: Do you find that um, do you find companies that adopt ESG metrics actually have better ESG performance than those that don't christian what's your experience
0: been on this that's um a very good question, and I think it's an industry specific question right um, We see companies who are quite advanced in ESG because they are in an industry where ESg is plays a much more important role. And what we see is actually, um, there are not yet, you know, full standards out there, how you can do proper ESG reporting. So it's, you know, a bit hard to come up with kind of, you know, empirical evidence. But what we see is actually that in terms of, you know, market communication, and also, let's say, uh, understanding of the business models, ESG's questions are much more important also to the capital market. And in that sense, those who can answer these questions better, right, and who could also link that back to their strategy. Uh, are doing much better. So ESG is no longer kind of a sanity KPI that I just need to show. It's rather become um, more and more core and center for many of our clients, specifically, of course, in those um, industries like, you know, energy, where that has been on top of mind.
1: So KPIs have expanded to the point that some executives may feel overwhelmed by all the metrics they now need to track. How do you strike the ideal balance between traditional performance metrics and softer ones that focus more on things like organizational health and leadership dimensions? Roald, do you want to take that?
4: What we've seen in systems where this is done well is it's less to do with the number and the nature of KPIs, but how you are assessed at the end of it. So some and a great example is a large global energy firm. Where assessment of individuals is almost spread 50-50. 50% is how you deliver against your KPIs, but 50% is based on feedback gathered about the values you espouse during the course of your work. How, what type of a leader are you? How ambitious are your targets and how ambitious um, are, are the goals that you set for your organization, which is qualitative, which comes through, uh, you know, uh, committees speaking with many different people who have interacted with you over the course of the year. And in really then the performance outcome allocated uh, is almost based equally on the hard metrics but also on the qualitative inputs gathered. And it started out just as how top leadership was assessed but it gradually propagated to across the organization where uh, very few people can get away with uh, simply delivering the hard results but then also not taking care of some of the software elements. So that's an example of how um, I've seen it being done well in
1: organizations. Taha, it looks like you've got something to
3: add. First of all, I share that sentiment. I think keep it simple. It's, it's uh, you know, it's classic. You know, you think through a great strategy. You think about how you're going to drive value. Then the finance or the CFO team, right, starts figuring out how do we measure and monitor it? Because, right, in many ways, if you can't, why do it? Then finance generally, right, since I've spent a lot of my career in there, we're great at complicating things. So the challenge is how do you simplify or candidly, if I could suggest, oversimplify that everyone can understand and it's easy and that allows the operating and the line manager to truly start uh, formulating plans in order to achieve or exceed those metrics and goals and can just really rattle it off much more than asking their finance partner to say, hey, now you take the formula and explain kind of how it happens. So that's at least something I would add to, you know, the comments earlier.
1: Thanks, Talha. Let's switch to target setting. Christian, what are you seeing new in how companies are setting their performance aspirations?
0: Target setting is not new, right? Whenever you do performance management, you need to give out a target. And of course, people are gonna measure it as we just discussed. So target setting is a core pillar of performance management, but it's sometimes rather, you know, art than science. And there's an ongoing debate on how we come to good or let's say realistic or somehow nice targets. So what we actually see is that it works best if we, you know, use multiple lenses. Benchmarks, of course, are one key ingredient, you know, for target setting. And for some KPIs, it's fairly easy. We can just take it from an external peer group that we find in financial statements, or we have any large database where we somehow can get um, some target numbers. Other benchmarking exercises are more focused on, um, you know, our own organization. So we compare across regions or across BUs um, so that we somehow also reflect the specifics of our business models that we do not find in our competitors. We often see companies using trend analysis. It can help you giving, uh, to give you a bit of a kind of a, let's say, calibration on what could good look like and what good looked like in the past. But you also see that companies spend a lot of time, you know, going deep on competitors and really trying to understand the way these competitors are operating and then also basically asking for bottom-up levers within their own organization. Other lenses um, that you see here uh, are probably looking more into non-traditional competitors. And this is what we see uh, quite often when companies are shifting their business models. So um, if you think of basically, you know, companies that are very much focused on hardware products and that are now moving in more kind of a software business models, as some of our automotive clients are currently doing. Out of a sudden, you know, their competitors are no longer the traditional other OEMs but actually large hyperscalers or software players who spend a lot of money on developing good software. And of course, the question is, how can I translate that into my automotive world? So we actually believe that, you know, a combination of some of those helps in coming to what everybody will agree as an ambitious yet realistic target.
1: Thanks. So to me, this suggests that companies need to invest in strong forecasting mechanisms to understand how the actions they take today will actually advance them toward the target. Does, does this sound right to you?
0: So any good performance management in that sense always goes along with a very efficient forecasting process. And of course, you know, there are many best practices if you think about how we can do a best-in-class forecasting. And so the first one is actually, you know, having clear use cases and a clear set of KPIs. Being very specific and clear about what kind of decision you want to drive and which KPIs are most relevant for that decision, right? Whether it's on a C-level, whether it's on a functional level, whether it's on a plant level, what are the KPIs that you need in order to make a decision on how to move forward? So you see basically you know, any kind of KPI, top-line KPIs, cost-based reduction KPIs. You see capital efficiency KPIs, customer satisfaction, employee motivation, all those that you probably find in your KPI reports. Now, the question is then, once I know by KPI that I want to forecast, how do I get an efficient forecasting process up and running? Where do I get the data? Specifically, if it's not my own data, but if I need, you know, probably to forecast also my competitors or if I need to forecast my customers. So where can I get these data points? And how often do I want to do the forecasting? Because um, we sometimes see companies, and specifically during COVID, you know, there was a habit of doing weekly monthly forecasts which did not really improve the decision making but just created a lot of confusion and a lot of let's say also stress in the organization so you know designing the process in a way of saying i want to do a uh, monthly or quarterly forecast helps also in order to get that up and running um, in an efficient way many are using for the forecasting then also some statistical methods right but what we see very often is that you know Uh, multiple models are put in place in a pilot stage. And then, you know, they are basically measured um, according to their outcome. So the model with the highest forecast accuracy actually is probably the model we want to use for our own forecast going forward.
1: And so how do you staff this effort? Should finance teams have individuals specifically dedicated to producing these forecasts?
0: You need to have someone who's actually driving the forecasting process and actually you need to be clear who receives the insights is it a forecast for you know the broad organization is it a forecast only for a functional head is it a forecast you know for the c suite because any forecast of course also triggers a lot of questions and you might um, want to somehow steer a bit the number and the kind of questions you get out of the forecasting of course forecasting is one of those elements um, uh, elements one of those areas where we see a lot of digital in there you know it's about automated forecasting So it's actually about collecting the data in an automated way so that you can do the forecast quite often and quite uh, at the same quality level.
1: So what constitutes a good forecast? How much precision does it need to have to serve well for managing performance?
0: That's an evergreen question. And um, what is actually a good forecast accuracy? For sure, 100% is not good, because it very often is very hard to get there, right? So what we have seen is actually depending a bit on the KPI, you know, forecast accuracies in the range of 90, 95% or so are good enough in order to steer your organization. Because, I mean, the forecast only tells you what most likely you will end up with in, you know, a quarter from now. And it helps you in order to create The right, let's say, sense of urgency, specifically, if you think of, you know, uh, the top lines, for instance, so that people move into the right direction.
1: Thanks, Christian. So we've now talked about KPIs, targets, forecasting. How should companies reflect these in performance discussions to drive that full potential ambition that you discussed earlier? Roel?
2: We do try to explain, indeed, that it's not only about setting the right target and the right ambition. I think it's quite critical that you enable and appraise the organization in a way that enables them to reach the full potential. So linked to what I talked about earlier, you want to also organize your performance appraisal discussions in a way that focus on forward-looking potential. Basically, you ask yourself three questions. The first question is, in this year, how did you do towards the roadmap to a full potential. In other ways of framing it, is how much money have you left on the table? And what have you learned from this? The second question that you can discuss in these appraisal discussions is what is your current gap? And am I closing this uh, towards the full potential? Of course, this is a moving target. And the North Star will change. However, uh, being aware of what the fundamental levers are that will get you there and having explicit discussions will help uh, enable and prioritize the initiatives that you and your team are doing. That, that's also again the third question. So what are the main initiatives? What are the fundamental levers you're pulling in your organization to get closer to this full potential? The time horizon on how, uh, how long it takes to, uh, to, to close the uh, full potential differs. Of course, it really depends on what fund, on the, the distance of the gap and also on the type of levers you want to pull and on the industry you're in. You can imagine that a lot of the more say market share related initiatives take longer than efficiency initiatives. Another question is how often do you want to have these discussions with your management? How often are your, your appraisal discussions? Well, just to put it into spectrum, this really depends on your industry again. Uh, in long cycle industries, like in, en- in many energy companies, this can be once a quarter, once half a year. But in more quick su- cycle industries like consumer, but also software, I have seen cases that, uh, that clients have it even weekly, that they really st- drive it in a very uh, uh, structured cadence. In our experience, actually, these type of discussions moving away from Uh, a backward-looking assessment of what could have been, but more of what we're going to do about it is a very positive way uh, of discussing. But of course, you need to be very open to it.
1: So earlier you mentioned Agile goal setting or performance management. How do you see that implemented?
2: We talk a lot about Agile and there's a lot of information, but basically you translate your organizational goal into clear, measurable uh, targets, for a small team or tribe that then uh, go after this. They will create an actionable roadmap to reach this individual OKR. OKR being objectives and key results. What you want to achieve with your team. In the end, you will discuss these activities and movements that are on a very granular level uh, in your group in a regular basis. And then if you achieve it or after the task is complete, you can use the collection of all these to also get an individual assessment of how you have done. Individual evaluation will take place on a way to enable what have you contributed to the goal. And it's also something that's regularly discussed. This is really summarized as we take a 360 view of your performance. We talk to, to everybody which you have had regular or intense interactions with. To listen to you're your positive and also uh, learning opportunities are for the specific task that you have been doing together. This then will be calibrated across the organization and will help you grow towards your next task. So you will receive detailed feedback uh, to, that you can execute on. This is, in short, uh, uh, what, what Agile Performance Management is. Of course, this has many implications to many uh, uh, parts of, uh, of the performance management cycle.
1: So, how does this change the dynamics in practice? Can you share any examples? Maybe Rohan, do you want to uh, do you want to address this one?
4: Certainly. One of the most interesting areas where this is uh, seen to the fore is the the idea of uh, performance contracts uh, that are that have both these objectives and key results captured in them, as well as these measurable KPIs. And really, these objective and key results is what people agree on at the start of the year. And then review them in a very time-bound manner in terms of what are we doing, how are we progressing against it. And once again, measurement of performance there is not so much about quantitative measurement. It's also about how innovative and creative have we been um, in the pathway towards increasing this. What have we learned? So there have been instances where people haven't been able to reach their OKRs but they haven't necessarily been penalized because they've uh, internalized learnings from this that they've radiated across the organization and that's the organi- that's helped the organization make better decisions going forward. So that's one way in which uh, we are very tangibly seeing this being done um, on the ground at different organizations.
1: Roll, you commented earlier about the clutter and complexity in reporting processes. What are some of the ways companies can reduce this and what role does technology play? we
2: do see a lot of benefit to declutter, standardize, and create one uh, source of digital reporting. This, in our experience, uh, reduces a lot of uh, unnecessary work uh, with error checks and violent function, but also other parts of the business uh, pushing uh, these reports. But also, it will avoid conclusion, increase focus, and also... uh, uh, encourage healthy debate on the outcomes less, less than on, on the numbers. So what we see here is manager reports produced centrally, of course, sometimes with help for the divisions, no unique divisional reports, a lot less managerial reports. We see cases where you can go 90% less with, without losing material uh, information.
1: So where does the responsibility lie in ensuring the organization embraces your recommended approach to performance management? This is our last question. Christian, why don't you take it?
0: I think very often people are saying, hey, this is a finance topic, right? Because they are doing the numbers, they are somehow relevant for the targets, and they are doing uh, actually the reporting. Performance management in that sense, we think it much broader. It's actually you know, about the clear initiatives that you put behind that. So I think success looks like if we spend 60% of the time on understanding what are the initiatives and the actions we want to move and we want to do in the next year in order in the next cycle to improve rather than debating 60% of the time on whether the numbers are correct. So in that sense, uh, performance management is cross-functional and also in that sense, not only a finance topic.
1: Tala, Christian, Roel, Rowan... Thank you so much for taking the time with us today it was a pleasure and thank you to our listeners for joining us we hope you enjoyed the conversation if you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast please email us at inside the strategy room at or share your ratings or reviews on your favorite podcast player thank you to all of our listeners who've already rated and reviewed our podcast we really do appreciate your comments and feedback please keep them coming and if you'd like to listen to additional episodes, you can access our entire library on your favorite podcast player and on our Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page at McKinsey.com I-T-S-R for Inside the Strategy Room, where you can also find transcripts of more than 120 past episodes. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights on strategy and corporate finance, you can sign up on our practice insights page available at mckinsey.com scf. You can follow us on Twitter at mckstrategy or connect with us on LinkedIn at the McKinsey strategy and corporate finance practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the strategy room.